Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also help them to succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we talk to Ann Ellis, a leader in the AEC industry about the ASCE SEI Global Practice Guide. Ann will provide five very important points that structural engineers should know about this guide. The Global Practice Guide, developed by and for the structural engineering community, highlights those areas requisite for global practice that are beyond the structural engineer's domestic field of training, including culture, design and construction, and legal and financial issues. The intent of this guide is to raise awareness of and seed inquiry into specific topics that can provide appropriate assistance whether you are contemplating global practice, considering go-no-go decisions on specific opportunities, and or formulating project planning. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle, and I'm a licensed engineer at DCI Engineers, practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's degree in structural engineering from UC San Diego. And I'm your co-host, Alexis Clark. I work in Hilti's North American headquarters as the product manager for chemical anchoring portfolio in the U.S. and Canada. I'm a licensed professional engineer in Texas and graduated with a degree in civil engineering from UT Austin. Before we introduce our guests, this is a free show and our sponsors help keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. Our sponsor for today's program is Giza Steel, a design software specifically created for structural steel connection design. Giza supports over 400 connection configurations in the shear, moment, vertical, and horizontal bracing groups. Selected as an AISC, Modern Steel Construction Hot Product, for the past two years, Giza continues to expand its connection library and add new tools that help users spend less time on connection design and produce concise and thorough design reports. You can try Giza today for free by going to www.gizasteel.com and downloading the 15-day trial. Giza, created by steel design professionals for steel design professionals. Again, that's www.gizasteel.com, G-I-Z-A, steel.com. I now have the incredible privilege and pleasure to introduce our guest for this episode, Ann Ellis. Ann Ellis is a professional engineer with more than three decades of experience. As a senior business executive with a global Fortune 500 company, she led development and implementation of enterprise-wide programs, including innovation, knowledge share, sustainability, advisory boards, government relations, and ethics. Additionally, she led strategic initiatives driving merger and acquisition, due diligence and integration, business system alignment, and operational excellence in bid and proposal work. Ellis is recognized worldwide in the field of concrete for her work with the American Concrete Institute, the National Ready Mixed Concrete, and Portland Cement Association. This builds upon her many years as a consulting engineer on casinos, hospitals, academic buildings, corporate and transit facilities, bridges, and tunnels. Ms. Ellis is co-author of the Concrete Design and Construction section of the Standard Handbook for Civil Engineers, 5th edition, and is a frequent speaker at universities, professional and technical societies, and industry fora. I want to share how I first actually met Anne and how I was first introduced to her. To many of our young structural engineers listening, you may have heard of Structures Congress, the premier event hosted by ASCE Structural Engineering Institute. This typically happens in the spring. And I had this, the pleasure of being introduced to Anne at 
Structures Congress 2018. One of the fantastic opportunities that they host for younger professionals and young engineers is the Meet the Leaders Breakfast, which is typically held the first or second morning of the Congress. I did my research beforehand. I learned about the different uh, leaders that would be at, the in- at this breakfast and the extreme breadth of experience that Anne had had in policy influence and leadership within ACI, being in business and you know driving the engineering profession from a business standpoint and technical standpoint, I just really found fantastic that she had such a uh, diverse background and had made such an interesting and unique career for herself. So for any of you who have considered attending the Meet the Leaders Breakfast or are looking forward to opportunities to be able to expose yourself to these really influential and impressive leaders, I highly encourage that you take that opportunity and connect with those industry leaders that really can provide guidance and mentorship and even a little bit of inspiration because that's definitely what Anne gave to me. So now without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Anne. Anne, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Before we begin, can you share with us a little bit more about some of the details of that really dynamic career you've had and what you do now on a daily basis at Ellis Global? Thanks for characterizing it that way. So um, I received a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering degree from Virginia Tech, Go Hokies. And I started my career as a practitioner predominantly in designing buildings, um, everything from institutional to tall buildings. It was a really great time, uh, insightful time and inspiring time. And it gave me the opportunity to springboard into the concrete and cement industry. And I worked for them for quite a few years advocating for the adoption of innovations, which was really a lot of fun, working with new technologies and helping the engineering community and owners uh, find new ways of doing things. Um, Then I went back to the for-profit world and I worked for a very large engineering and construction company at an enterprise level. And that company eventually was acquired by AECOM. And um, I served in numerous roles at AECOM at an enterprise level. All those uh, roles helped enable growth of AECOM, which has been a huge growth machine, particularly while I was there. We went from being $8 billion in annual revenue to $20 billion, and from 40,000 employees to 100,000 employees. And at that time, they were in over 150 countries around the world. So that's really what gave me the opportunity to understand and appreciate the value of global practice. At the same time, I was also very, very active in industry organizations. I'm a past president of ACI. I served as the global president from 2013 to 2014. And in that capacity, traveled the world as their ambassador. And uh, again, that gave me a different perspective on the importance of global practice. In 2016, an opportunity fell into my lap that would allow me to go off and and start my own business, which I did, Ellis Global. uh, We focus on helping people through innovation, which uh, for many companies is dealing with change. 
And um, in 2018, I was approached by the Charles Panko Foundation and asked if I would become their executive director as a client to Ellis Global. And I have been doing that ever since. It's a great organization. It's an independent private grant-making foundation that supports open innovation. And they invest in leaders and organizations working to create industry change to achieve better ways to design and build. So, you know, I've converged on a career focused around innovation, globalization, and outreach and collaboration. Doesn't get any better than that. That's a really unique and really interesting career path, which is so cool. In terms of that, I think you have a really unique perspective, Anne, because of you really have to get this global perspective of everything. And, and you believe that the United States is a leader in structural engineering education and practice. Can you tell us why that is and why you feel that way and maybe give some examples? We are very blessed for those of us who have been uh, born and raised and or educated here in the United States. We benefited from the reemergence of engineering as a need during the 20th century and during a time when the United States was building their infrastructure. And uh, to design and build that infrastructure, they needed uh, capabilities to lead it and do the work. And so they invested heavily in engineering education and we've been the beneficiaries of that. It's also catapulted us forward into the 21st century as other countries around the globe are investing in infrastructure and they turn to the United States and United States practitioners for guidance and insights on how to do their work properly. Even for me, when I'm talking to uh, students that are, you know, international, they always say that their code is based off of the U.S. code some way, somehow, or the IBC, and then it kind of just goes back to, you know, when I'm talking about the ASCE, it's recognized on a global scale. And coming from the U.S., that's something that I didn't really recognize. You know, I thought it was just, oh, yeah, these are our U.S. codes. But then when you look at it from a global practice, a lot of their codes are based on our codes. So it was really interesting to see that different perspective. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we've inspired a lot of countries' codes, um, but there are still a lot of countries that don't have codes and standards. And so in the absence of that type of guidance, people will also lean on, you know, the American guidance that exists. I want to share one of my favorite little factoids. Um, ASCE is broken up into 10 different regions, and Region 10 is actually everything outside of the U.S. It's the international community. So ASCE is certainly not restricted to the United States boundaries by any means. Absolutely. In fact, um, I have the privilege of serving on the executive committee of the ASCE Structural Engineering Institute Global Activities Division, which has been insanely busy in, since its formation in 2016. So just actually following that same thread, and I know you've seen a lot through your tenure in the structural engineering industry. Before we dive into the ASCE Global Practice Guide, what are some of the events or milestones that have really led to this guide being published now? Why now when there's been this huge opportunity in the past 20, 30, 40 years as we continue to see globalization increase? That's a really good question. I think we have the benefit of experience of some of the really big firms in the United States that have been working overseas in recent years and seeing their willingness to share their experiences, good and bad. 
working overseas requires not only technical skills, but it requires business skills and personal qualities that uh, aren't really even talked about, not only in engineering education, but even in business education. So I think it's been um, an extraordinarily kind thing, generous thing for the people who contributed to this guide to be willing to share that knowledge. So working globally obviously requires awareness and sensitivity to a really wide range of business issues and probably cultural issues too. And I believe these could have a really big impact in terms of cost, maybe risk for the business and and just more money in terms of like mistakes if you don't know how to handle these things. Do you have any examples on, I guess, who this guide is for, like what it can prevent if you've never even read this guide and some of the problems that it can prevent on a global scale? I'm sure there's a lot of stories from many types of businesses that they weren't aware of this and then you know they got burned because they weren't aware of these type of knowledge. Let's start technically, okay? Um, with things just as fundamental as numeric conventions, right? Some kind, you know, we rely on the decimal and the commas to discern our numbers. And there are countries elsewhere that uh, conform to a different framework for numeric convention where they may or may not use decimals where we use them. They may or may not use commas where we use them. So, you know, we might think we're communicating a number very clearly and we've caused great confusion with our U.S. ways. Again, you brought up codes and standards. What do you do in the absence of codes and standards? Some countries um, that do have codes and standards uh, are often described as uh, Franken codes. They've taken bits and pieces from different countries' codes and standards and packaged them together in ways they were never intended to be packaged together and would make a, a lot of U.S. engineers very uncomfortable. So having that understanding of the framework of another country's code is very, very important. Construction practices. Here in the U.S., engineering and construction is highly regulated uh, with an eye towards safety. And there are many places in the world that don't have that regulation in place, and their construction practices are much more loose than what we see here, and sometimes often scary as you watch them throw buckets of concrete up several floors, (laughs) you know, place concrete. And then there's, you know, just a a variety of differences in project delivery. At what point is a structural engineer involved in the design and at what point do they hand it off to the contractor? Here in the United States, it's not unusual at all for the structural engineer to take the drawings to 100%. And many countries in the world may only take them to 30 or 40% and then hand them over to the contractor. So if you don't understand these different nuances, and there are many, many more technically, you could make very costly mistakes for your company. There's also the business side of it. And uh, here we have a lot of protections in place through our rule of law that just don't exist in many, many countries around the world. So understanding where you do have legal protections and where you don't and financial protections and where you don't. Another interesting thing that really confuses a lot of people is standard business practices overseas of entertainment and gift giving and such here would be considered illegal 
And if your company has presence uh, in the UK, you are captured by the UK Bribery Act, and it requires you to conform to their laws no matter where you're operating in the world. So you could not only get yourself in a lot of trouble, but you could get your company in a lot of trouble doing something as innocent as going out to dinner and picking up the tab with a client. You know, it gets a lot more complicated with topics such as intellectual property, export controls, where you can take, what countries you should or should not carry your cell phone, carry your smartphone, carry your laptop in and out. There's a lot of cybersecurity concerns. There's visa concerns. You know, we don't have these concerns in our day-to-day practice here in the United States as long as we're within our own borders. But when we start working outside the United States, particularly in certain countries, these become very real and costly uh, situations that you have to accommodate for. The other piece is cultural. We are fortunate to live in a country that um, is a melting pot. You know, we interact with a lot of different cultures on a daily basis without any preconceived notions about those cultures without much history with those cultures. And overseas, there are cultures that have long, long histories of uh, discontent. And that can often impact the way a team is a team is shaped and framed working on a global project or working overseas. And if we don't have sensitivity to these things, but well, first of all, awareness, let alone a sensitivity we can inadvertently create a construct on a project that's unhealthy and unproductive and really destroy the ability to be successful. Then there are other things like work weeks, what day of uh, religious um, recognition and such, and when do other countries take vacation? Here in the United States, we work, 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 and we're lucky if we take two weeks a year. In Europe, it's commonplace to take a month off every summer. So that can have huge implications, particularly (laughs) during the construction season. So there's just this multiplicity of topics and things that come up. If you haven't anticipated for it in the beginning and factored in the cost of all of that into your project, you can run into some really serious trouble. That's a really great summary right there. It's like uh, the technical, the business, and the cultural, and a lot of those things. Personally, I'm not even aware of, and it's like, wow, if you ever wanted to work internationally, there are a lot of things to take into account, which I think this is why it's a, a good leeway into the global practice guide. Especially as our audience and the structural engineering industry becomes infiltrated with more uh, millennials and Gen Xers who have more of a, an appetite to travel and work from abroad and you know work for different companies or work for a large organization that has a presence in different countries, it feels like a big topic to kind of wrap your arms around. You don't really know where to start. And that's why it's so exciting to see this global practice guide be put together to really cover all of those bases that we wouldn't necessarily be familiar with and wouldn't have a good starting place to to go down the road and, and pursue that objective. And with that, let's dive directly into the ASCE global practice guide. And can you talk a little bit more about what this guide is? And from what I understand, you have five important points that structural engineers should know about this guide that they can use to implement in their practice. Can you explain what those are? So first and foremost, this guide is a primer. 
It's not a how-to book. It's a primer to help uh, structural engineers with their socialization of working in a global context. And when I say it's not a how-to guide, it's really, and this is a second point, and it's very important, it provides you with a framework of topics that need to be considered if you're planning on working outside of the United States and um, more to direct you to other professionals who can help you with a deeper knowledge and, and how to address some of these issues if you're in a proposal stage or, or even further. Third point is it's applicable to those um, interested in working on projects outside the United States. That was really the audience for the guide, but it's also really insightful for those who are working on projects in the United States uh, with a client who might be from outside the United States, or maybe you've got team members who are operating outside of the United States. It can be very insightful in understanding where they're coming from and their experiences, particularly if they're different from how we operate here in the U.S. The next point that's uh, really critical is that the topics covered in this guide is way beyond the structural engineer's domestic field of training. I mean, the, the technical issues, the cultural issues, the business issues, these are so beyond what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. As I mentioned before, some are technical, but much is not, but all have an impact on cost and the ability to deliver work successfully. And finally, this has been written by the structural engineering community for the structural engineering community, but it is also written and to be relevant to a broader audience, including maybe the HR professionals that you work with, the accounting professionals, the business development professionals. And what also I think is really cool about it is um, even though it was written by and for structural engineers, it's really relevant to civil engineers as well, and probably other engineering disciplines working on your project. So those are the five key points. And where can they find this resource, Anne? Is there a website or a link that they can go to? You can access the guide on the ASCE Structural Engineering Institute website. And if you're an SCI member, you can access it for free, but you'll have to enter your credentials in to the Collaborate site of ASCESCI. That's awesome. Thank you so much for pointing us in the right direction to find this. So outside of just the ASCE Global Practice Guide and what some of the um, benefits are by using that really great resource, what is your vision for how structural engineers that are in the U.S. can have an impact on a global level beyond just our borders? There are so many different ways to have an impact outside the United States. You can have an impact on a project. And I think that's what comes to people's minds first and foremost is what job can I work on that's outside the United States. But you can also have an impact on the development of their capabilities, whether it be through their professional development or through their own development of codes and standards, et cetera. And much of this is accomplished through organizations like the Structural Engineering Institute and their partnership with like-minded organizations like the iStruct E. I mentioned earlier I was the president of the American Concrete Institute, and I've had 
the opportunity to work with many, many countries in a variety of different capacities, not only advancing their own codes and standards, um, but also their educational process, their educational focus, speaking at different events, helping to transfer our knowledge um, and share it around the world. But I've also been a big recipient of knowledge from people from other countries, learning from them on the ways they do things. Sometimes they're ahead of us. You know, they're not always behind. Sometimes they have found much better ways. And I've also come to develop an appreciation in the difference in the education that we receive, depending on where you're based around the world. So there's a lot of different ways that you can utilize this knowledge and affect this, the uh, built environment globally. So I had a question for you, Anne. Alexis, uh, feel free to chime in too, since I know you have experience in this. For new engineers that want to get into an engineering career that has a lot of travel, similar to, to what you've experienced, I know that's pretty intriguing for some engineers. How can they get into that type of career? Is there a specific career path that they should try to get into or a type of company? that they should try to get into. Um, do you have any career tips for that? There are so many different paths to globalization. A very common one are, are people that want to work on international development projects in a, you know emerging countries that are just beginning to think about building their infrastructure. And that always provides a really interesting opportunity. A lot of people will continue their practice here domestically, um, but volunteer with organizations like Engineers Without Borders. There's quite a few organizations that enable that service work overseas and allow you to do, you know, very short-term projects or or midterm projects as well. And then there are opportunities working for the government. I know a lot of people that work for the U.S. government that have uh, opportunity to help support the development of buildings and infrastructure uh, that the U.S. may own and operate or, or may be supporting overseas. And then there are opportunities working with really big companies like I did with AECOM who have a global footprint and are receptive to in putting employees on projects that are outside the United States or even give you an opportunity to move to an office that's outside the United States. It's not just AECOM. There are plenty of companies uh, that are medium-sized that have a global footprint, and they encourage that diversity of experience and, and knowledge that can be gained moving from office to office, country to country. So there's really a multiplicity of ways to um, get that global flavor and that global experience. And of course, again, working with industry organizations like the Structural Engineering Institute, like the American Concrete Institute and others that will also give you the opportunity to interact and and travel. So I actually work for one of those large companies, although it's not, of course, your traditional engineering consulting firm. So just like Anne had the opportunity to travel with AECOM, and have a global experience there. I work for a large manufacturer, which is definitely a different alternative to traditional engineering consulting, but definitely, I mean, for me and for people like me who are maybe a little bit more extroverted or like uh, playing with, you know, the same technical concepts that structural engineers use every day, but in a creative, influential way, 
working for a manufacturer offers a lot of opportunities. So Hilti is present in 120 countries and we're, I guess, actually more now, but we're very supportive and encouraging of individuals who want to work abroad. So, I mean, honestly, I would work in the majority of countries that we work in if I had the opportunity to, and that's encouraged, which is really nice. So if you have the passion and desire to go abroad and you have the ambition to succeed in the role that you're in, it is highly welcomed that we have uh, global movers because just like Ann mentioned, you get to experience different cultures, different business practices, different technical practices across the world. And that experience only helps broaden your capabilities as not only a technical professional, but also a potential manager, someone who can navigate different cultural differences for either with clients or internally between different nationalities of team members. And those are always traits that are applicable to, you know, not only the company that I'm in now, but if I wanted to go someplace else, you have the ability. Those are those are skills that directly translate to any leadership role within our industry. Yeah. And you know, you bring up a really good point, and that is the globalization of the supply chain. I mean, think about a lot of our construction materials as being domestic materials, but quite a bit of what we work with um, and what we design to be used comes from elsewhere. We understanding that, understanding the impact that it has on our daily practice is also of really high value. Wonderful. And thank you so much for the fantastic insight today. I think I'm already ready to go and uh, read through that global practice guide. And I'm sure many of our listeners who, again, have that taste, that ambition to maybe go abroad and bring their engineering skills to different communities outside of the US are eager to get to that uh, resource as well. Where can our listeners connect with you? Where can they follow you? Oh, they'll find me all over the internet on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Yeah, please join in. Wonderful. Thank you, Anne. You bet. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com, where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 27, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, we just want to let you know that the Engineering Management Institute has brought back their previously popular Monday morning motivational messages to inspire us all through these trying times of dealing with the current pandemic. You can find them in video form on EMI's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash engineering careers. You can find them under the playlist tab. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. 